I really wanted to write about how young people with long COVID are following the path of like other chronically ill people, because we are all chronically ill. There's no hierarchy in chronic illness, in my opinion, at least, about how online communities are helpful. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today we're talking about mental health, online communities, and reporting on chronic illness and disability. Our host, Monica, is joined by journalist Julia Metro, who lives with vasculitis, mild to moderate hearing loss, and has experienced long COVID. Sorry, I have to record from bed today, so, and okay. I have to give any snorting because this is, this is my co-host for today. Oh, hi. I know judgment. I'm normally a bed interviewer too, a lot of it, like half the time. Bye. I am so excited to talk this because you're, um... Really impressive. I was really excited when I got your questions, Angelia, because being a reporter and dealing with the basic chronic illness you're dealing with and long COVID is beyond impressive and interesting. So I just wanted to jump right in. So you didn't start having problems until you were 20. Is that right? And that wasn't with COVID. That was just... I had like a few symptoms after for a few months after getting COVID, but I would like consider myself to be someone currently living with long COVID. Yeah. When I was 18, I developed vasculitis. And so that means my blood vessels are chronically inflamed. I was born with a mild to moderate hearing loss, had allergies as a teenager, but I, yeah, my health, I guess, really issues really started when I was 18. That was undiagnosed for a year and a half. I then had to leave university. I went on vacation to Mexico, was hospitalized for 10 days, but then got a diagnosis. So very grateful for that accidental medical tourism that I wasn't expecting. But now, yeah, so that was, I was diagnosed slightly past 20 and I'm almost 26. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here because you got sick just in time for school. So congratulations. Like, you're an adult now. Welcome to, you mm-hmm. know, a senior citizen's body. Read time for college. And then you got to experience medical tourism. Very curious about that part, because right before COVID, we were all set up to start doing our medical stuff over in England because it was okay. about $5,000 cheaper. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious what it was like in Mexico for you. Yeah, it was very accidental. Like I went on vacation with my dad and then I got very sick. My C-reactive protein they tested was that. I forget the measurement unit, but it was at eight when the normal range is like zero to 10. So like my body had had enough just because I was on oxygen. I was very, very swollen and very sick. And I had been sick for a year and a half, but I was attending school. I'm originally from Winnipeg in Canada. I moved to the U.S. when I was six years old and I went to McGill University. I started undergrad there. The wait time to see a specialist was very long. I could not get in to see a specialist. I had to use the emergency room, which sucked. It did not work. And then I was told, oh, you have anxiety, which I do, or just a little bit of pain. I mean, I do have anxiety. That's been diagnosed for a long time, but like I was also very sick. I love how there's this idea of like mental health precludes anything else from being wrong, and it's very frustrating. For sure, no, that and that definitely informs a lot of the reporting I try to do as well. Just as someone who talks with a lot of other chronically ill young people, um, have experienced myself, and also look at research. 
I think a lot of us have gone through experiences of being like, oh, your health issues are in your head. Uh, and then what do you do when you're starting to get good care, you're getting a diagnosis, and then you're scared to get mental health treatment because you're used to that being invalidated, which is a very frustrating process, but it's so very important for us chronically ill people to take care of our well-being, for sure. I cannot agree more. I'm, um, I'm probably about double your age. And I remember before we had the Obamacare, if you had anything like anxiety or mental health issues on your, your file, you could be denied care. Even if you had full insurance, your insurance could go, no, you have anxiety. That's what this is. And then deny you all care, even post, even after they paid for things. So <laughs> the fear that we all have, especially some of us who are a little bit older, about having any of that on our records is, is really intense. And for, for pretty good reason, <laughs> even we're going to pain clinics and the pain clinics are talking about our mental health. And it's like, no, it's not what I'm here for. My anxiety around pain is because it hurts and I don't want to keep hurting. Yeah, some of us also just have anxiety. Absolutely. There's there's a lot of reasons for all of us to have anxiety from mental health and from brain chemistry all the way to actual experiences. And I, I have horrible anxiety when I go into doctors to not being believed. So it's just this like almost shut down when I see a white coat. You're talking about the wait times to go seen. And that's usually the argument here in the United States that I'm in the U.S. with you that we keep hearing on why we don't want universal health care is the wait times. And I've had to wait three years for a doctor. And the only reason I was able to get in was because there's a last minute cancellation. And you were mentioning that you had experienced your own wait time issues. Yeah. And I feel like my issues with wait times, I do think like for some specialists, it's almost the same in both countries, but it was specifically waiting 12 hours in the ER before being triaged. Oh, those wait times. Yes. Those ones too. Yeah. No, those were really the front when I've been so much pain and I couldn't feel my legs. I'd be go between not numbness and the feeling like being shocked almost. And then I'd be told, oh, you still have to wait. And then it would be like one through 12 hours. It was normally eight to 10 hours before I was brought back. Um, and to be clear, we're not talking about like trying to jump the line. We both understand that there are yeah. heart attacks and shooting oh, yeah. victims and people who need that absolute instant care. But we're talking about like being seriously in need of medical treatment and in the United States emergency room and being left for six hours, eight hours, 10 hours. I, mm -hmm. I waited eight hours and the last time I went to the emergency room was... I think I was in the, the thing for eight hours and I had my arm here, like my whole brachius had come all the way forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like the sometimes I've got to quote unquote cut the line because things are very bad. Like they were very bad. I'm happy to wait a few hours. But like if there's like a chorus of people of need, it's just there's an issue with infrastructure. If yes. people are waiting a certain amount of time and that's nothing to say that nurses and doctors aren't working hard and aren't incredibly burned out because they are, but things could be better. This, this is a read on the administration of hospitals for not hiring enough nurses and doctors and not making sure that those rooms are run better and with more staff. Meet the need of the administration because that's what a lot of nurses are asking for. And I would like that. to ask that I not be charged $8,000 for mm -hmm. a three-hour visit to the emergency room. That'd be my big ass. Yeah, for sure. That too. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I'd like to not lose my house for being sick. That'd be really, mm -hmm. really helpful. You have been doing some incredible reporting on the online community and chronic illness. And I did a deep dive on all of your articles and they are amazing. And I, I wanted to always like have you come back as a regular guest because each one of your articles was like a full episode. So I just wanted I'm to start with one you, the one you sent me and you're like, hey, I want to talk about this. So I wanted to make sure we talk about this one, which mm -hmm. is near and dear to my heart. I have a teenager who loves Animal Crossing and loves Roblox. 
And that is such a lifeline. And I just want to talk to you about the reporting that you did on this. It's an incredible article about chronic illness and these online communities. Oh, absolutely. So I was fortunate to get, I am a fellow at Mother Jones, but I also specifically got a fellowship from Solutions Journal of the Network where I had applied. They had a kind of like a mental health fellowship for looking for solutions. And I just like sat down and wrote an application about why I think online communities are so important for young, chronically ill and disabled people. And like crapping on like these online communities is not helpful. I'm not saying social media companies aren't doing questionable things, but we also really need these online communities. If you don't really go out in the world, which can be very inaccessible. Symptoms can be annoying. People like me are still very much trying to avoid getting COVID either once or again or numerous times. And so I really wanted to write an article about long COVID and young people. And the reason why I wanted to do that is we know this is a mass disabling event. This is not the first mass disabling event that comes after a post-infectious disease with kids. We gradually saw this after polio. In fact, like a lot of early, by early, I mean 1960s and 1970s, disability advocates were disabled by polio. So I really wanted to look into, as someone who, when I became chronically ill, was on my computer all the time, I just kind of take a little pause from school. I really wanted to write about how young people with long COVID are following the path of like other chronically ill people, because we are all chronically ill. There's no hierarchy in chronic illness, in my opinion, at least, about how online communities are helpful. My specific story, so like why I decided to do Animal Crossing, I was just kind of looking around on TikTok and elsewhere on YouTube just to be like, okay, who's talking about what they're doing, young people with long COVID, to take care of themselves and have fun. And then there's one person, I went to her TikTok and then went to her YouTube. And then I went to her YouTube gaming channel and I thought she has pot, which was triggered after her long COVID about and she started Animal Crossing. And then I DM'd her on Instagram. Sorry. So many apps to get asked. But that's like literally the process. But I went to find her. And I'm like, hi, this might be weird. I'm trying to write a story about how online communities are helpful for young people on COVID. And she responded. Fortunately, she was a journalism minor in uh, university. So I did not think what I was doing was that weird. And then we talked. So my other sourcing for this piece included a doctor who treats people, young people with long COVID. Because I just wanted a medical source of sort it's like outlined that like, hey, the symptoms are real. We see this in practice. And I also talked to a psychologist who had lived experience with chronic illness for her lupus about online communities. And I also talked to a medical anthropologist who has looked into online communities. And I'll come with them. You just unlocked my new life goal. <laughs> medical anthropologist. I, I want to talk so much more about that in a minute. Or sociologist. One of might have been medical sociologist. One of the two. But it's like kind of the same thing. Yeah. So when you're talking about the in your article about these communities, one of the things mm -hmm. that I noticed was disabled joy and almost a physical joy around the avatars. And one person was talking about watching their avatar run through mm -hmm. a field. And it was yeah. just such an interesting moment. I've never done Animal Crossing. I might have to go try it. I'm more into virtual reality and mm -hmm. getting to do YouTube experiences with people where they put like their GoPro on and they surf or they go hiking and I get to hike along with them. It's like their little, <laughs> I don't know, person on their shoulder or something. And there's an incredible joy to feeling that experience for me to mm -hmm. be able to do things that I mean, I've been sick since I was like, I think I was five when I first started getting sick. So I've never really had a lot of these experiences. So getting to have some of them is really exciting. 
can you talk a little bit about like watching your avatar do something? Does that do anything for you or is that just saying what someone else was talking about? Yeah, that was something where for that specific part of the article when I described it, the person I interviewed does live streams on YouTube of her Animal Crossing. So I had watched part of the video where the villager, as they're called Animal Crossing, I'm not really an Animal Crossing player myself, where I kind of describe what was happening. And I think a cool thing about Animal Crossing is that you build your island and your experience over time. And that can be almost, I think it could be goal setting too. If you're like, okay, I want to do something today. And like, okay, you contributed to your Animal Crossing island. That's great. And so even if like you're having a rough day, you can, you can still do that. And with Animal Crossing too, I'm not a huge video game player, but unlike some other game, like, you can communicate with other people. It's not like you're doing it by yourself and a bunch of AI bots are maybe responding to you. You can uh, have communities with other people as well. There's something about being chronically ill with things like ME and mm-hmm. POTS and things were, we're almost forgotten. We're, we're very, like, I just feel like almost like one of those Victorian novels, the woman in the attic with some yellow wallpaper and a pug, which is what you see from seeing the old wallpaper start swirling. But there's, there's this thing of not being able to affect the world around you, which seems like one of the hierarchy of needs, you know, that that need of purpose. And there's something really beautiful what you're talking about, about still having that that ability to influence things around you, even if it's pixels. Yeah. And I, I definitely think this is kind of a jump off point, but like I'm as someone who's chronically ill with vasculitis where ME is a very common core morbid condition. Even with myself, I have something called to-do list. I really love to-do list. They're not paying me to shout them out. I just really love it. Where like, I'll put like, oh yeah, take medication at a certain time. And if I check that off, I'm doing something today. And it's like just something, a small thing I do. Because this capitalistic world we live in, I feel like we're hard on ourselves if we don't have like a certain amount of output. So like, that is totally off topic for my article. But that is something that I do. I'm so feeling you like I've actually gone back and written a new to do thing just so I can mark it off if I forgot yeah. to write it down. I did saying like, no, no, I need credit. I need my gold star. Yeah. But yeah, no, I feel like Animal Crossing is a way where you can build things over time. And also unlike games with certain level ups and things like that, you mm-hmm. can go your own pace. I wish more of the games would have sandboxing. Like yeah. there's a lot of like battle games that I love, but I don't want to fight. I just want to sandbox it. Like there's the new Assassin's Creed. I just want to like go in the world. I don't want to like, yeah. It'd be nice to have less competition stuff where, you know, some of us people are a little calmer, less, less yeah. age of swords. I, I just need like- to show you what I'm dealing with right now. Is this just like a full bat pug? Are you on belly rubs right now? Oh about, my God. Like, yeah. This yeah. is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And we'll get to it in a minute, but we always talk about like one thing we purchased for under $100 and you were talking about the Todoist. We have a heated pad on our beds that's like mm. a mattress cover. So it's a full body heating pad, which means that now if I try to keep her out of my room, she will throw herself against the door to get to this heating pad. That's really funny. But yeah. It's pretty adorable. Yeah. Yeah, I make me a dog person. So dogs interrupting anything is good with me. Well, we also have this too. Yeah, it's it's a full, like my bed is always full of everyone and everything, which is, you know, between teenagers and, and all of our animals. The only thing that hasn't gotten up here is our chickens. So please forgive all of the interruptions here, but apparently I am the popular one right now and I, I just cannot seem to kick anyone out without causing more noise. You know, let's go into that topic here because it was like a natural slide over. You have the cutest little dog that's just yeah. adorable all over your Instagram. Can you talk to me a little bit about like the importance of animals and chronic illness, especially I don't want to say homebound chronic illness, but those yeah. guys who 
was sort of hobbit and spent most of our time in our little cozy caves. Yeah, so he doesn't actually live with me right now. He lives with my dad. It's just I'm at the point where I have to work like 40 hour week plus with my job yeah. and and saying it's just not active for me to like play with him and like take care of him. But I did train him how to recognize me on FaceTime, which is an accomplishment of mine. What I, what I did in my first year of undergrad, I'm sorry how young I am. But he first wasn't reacting. And then I asked him, do you want to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it with a French accent in case your dog knows this word and starts like a biscuit or I'm trying not to oh, not know the word. You're totally fine. She does okay, not know biscuit. the word. So I'm like, yeah. do you want that? And then my dad gave it to him and then he started pursing up. And now he recognizes me. And when he hears my voice, he starts begging for belly rub. So I'm in a long distance relationship with my dog. It's adorable. But it's so not, dog, your dog next to you. Like he was very helpful when I had to take a pause from university then because like I was a little but my dog always wanted to hang out with me. And something funny is I think he realized that I dealt with inflammation and all that, that not just me, when you see someone have a bruise, you have to look at it. And he's like, that's oh no, so that's right. Yeah, no. Oh my God. That's kind of the, you know, when it comes to being sick and friends, I don't know if you experienced this, but I kind of experienced this mass exodus of people, not because they weren't lovely. They are lovely people. I just want to make that very clear. These are not cruel, mean, or bad people. They were busy people. And when I stopped running a business, I really had to, I wasn't able to do the things we used to do. They didn't have time to do, like, to keep canceling, having cancellations all the time. Mm -hmm. So it just sort of naturally just fell off. And having a dog around who did not care if I got something done, if I was a business owner or not, they just cared if I gave belly rubs. That was it. And I was perfectly capable of doing that still. So did you experience that sort of like drop off? Like in college, I had it too when I got really sick in college. It was Mm -hmm. was pretty intense. And I did a lot of masking during that time. Yeah, I would definitely say I experienced that. I also think part of something I wish I would have done sooner is spend less time going through people's Instagram stories and more time seeking out other people who have dealt with similar experiences. I was not involved in disability Twitter when I first left school. I wish I was because that would have been such a helpful thing to like connect with other people. So I was very much struggling. I feel like Instagram has changed a bit over the year that is left like over the top, like look at my life. It's so perfect. I'm socializing. Um, but it definitely was like that in uh, twenty eighteen, which was very hard for. Though I'm happy everyone was living a great life to just see like what I was missing out on. But yeah, I wish I had found like online disability communities right away. The only ones I really found were like Facebook groups, which weren't really helpful in connecting with other young people my age. And the ones I've done were very medical, which, of course, when it comes to certain conditions, is very important with treatment, but they aren't socializing. So that's like something I really wish I had done differently. But that's also why I like and I'm focusing on reporting on online communities because it's something I wish I had done and found much sooner. And do you think that there's an aspect? Because like, I know that in my groups on Facebook, it is very medical uh, and mm-hmm. occasionally a little bullying, a little um, suffering Olympics. Yeah. Uh, but is there something to like, the play aspect of it where you get to just sort of drop off the the sort of suffering olympics and just get to yeah. enjoy someone else's time on that so you have like an actual other objective besides having a discussion about this one aspect yeah for sure i definitely find that to be a case on twitter or used to be the case it's very sad what is happening to that platform and that's i also think earlier in our conversation where it's like there's no chronicle and it's hierarchy because it sometimes feels like it that way in some medical focus groups 
the most moderators, of course, working their hardest and all that to admin, finding fun things to do, but also just like making friends is something I have found very helpful on disability Twitter and it's even as Twitter. So I feel like a lot of disability Twitter had been formerly left and still connecting with people I've connected with on like Instagram and slowly threads. I joined that recently. There's so many platforms. There's too many. I'm confused. And I forget because I run multiple things. Like I have another podcast for kids or I do a history podcast for kids. It's mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And then I have like building an RPG for like a fantasy RPG. So we have that whole thing off to the side. And I can't remember which profile I'm on at the time. And I, I don't remember what we're active on now. There's TikTok and I'm trying to figure that out. And I, I'm feeling very confused and exhausted and old. It's not good when you have limited energy. It's like there's so many platforms. But Oh my goodness. And you were just talking about you were going to college at the time where Instagram hit this like live your best life. Like yeah. it was very fake. It was very intense and over the top. I was a young mom at the time and mm-hmm. it felt just like it felt as bullying, but for a different side of it. Like you better have like your whole life together, be doing yoga, be making your child organic food and get everything. And it was just this very intense pressure to be perfect all the time. And no one was showing this underbelly. And maybe that's different now. I'm not very active. I honestly am not very active on hardly anything. So TikTok right now, just because it's more entertaining when I'm in pain to just be able to like say, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. But trying to find that like actual connection with another person and to be able to find that community where you don't have to keep overly explaining everything, that seems priceless to not have to have someone who either just A, doesn't get it, B, you have to convince, C, really wants to understand. But to go through all the explanations is very tiring. I think you had even looked into getting a chat bot to explain the symptoms. Yeah, and that's part of your article. Yeah, that was part of my article where someone with hot had like set it up. Oh, so there was someone that. else. I'm so sorry. Yes, I do so a massive deep good. dive. That's all just sort of swirling around my brain right now. All good. Now, sometimes people were like, oh, yeah, your article in that topic. I'm like, which article? Bless your heart. But fortunately, at least with the people I'm more so following now. I think Instagram has changed a bit. This was like what people share with their stories. I think that too with my age group, even though they're owned by the same company, it's not like a more ethical thing. Like Elder Gen Z, which I am, isn't really posting on Facebook anymore. So like our experience with Facebook, like just updating about our lives casually had merged into what we're doing on Instagram. So I do think it's like a little bit of a change for the better. It's an interesting idea. Like I, I liked a lot of it. I like the diary keeping aspect of it to be able to kind of look in and be able to see what I've done or what's mm-hmm. gone on or how, how things are with more data collection for myself. But then we sort of have been running up against this thing where a lot of things that are really good for the disability community, like being able to connect through gaming and through these other things and Amazon and Grubhub and all these other delivery services, they're running up against this ethics issue. And I'm especially right now in today's climate and also back in the Trump years where they were talking about monitoring our social media to see if we were really disabled. It just feels like a lot of what we're needing to have full of filling lives is getting to a point where we have to even ask questions that I don't feel comfortable asking all the time. No, for sure. And I like I mentioned before, but that's like what makes it so sad about Twitter falling apart is that it's been oh my such God, an yes. essential part of online disability experiences for so many people. And then we have someone, I Elon Musk is a perfect example that you can have a disability and still do things that harm other disabled people. And yeah, no, seeing Twitter slowly demise has definitely been frustrating. And there are so many ethics issues with tech and all that, that it's hard to like 
I don't, well, I don't think there's any purely ethical social media. I think that we can try and make as ethical choices in our lives as possible, but that's really hard. Like even let's say you are able to not order Amazon, which I know isn't a possibility for people who can't really lose their house and really hard to get other stuff on time. But like Amazon owns so much of the web and it's so hard to oh work on that. Google. Yeah. It's. Basically, politicians need to deal with the ethical stuff instead of just blaming disabled people. That'd be nice. But also, like, I've written, like, as I've written for some places, too, Amazon treats disabled workers badly. Many have, like, Oh, yes, I saw that article. Amazon has also been fined for causing injuries to people, which can be disabling. They've gotten fined many, many times from the Department of Labor. So And death. They've actually caused deaths in their warehouse. I also think too, when looking at the Amazon thing, it isn't like an Amazon versus disabled people who don't work there. It's a disability rights issue. You're making such a good point because there's a long history of problems like pollution and climate change that keep getting passed off to regular people when regular people cannot make the changes necessary. No, absolutely. For sure. Talked a little bit about this ability to group around things like in Twitter. Disability Twitter is one of my favorite little places. Is where I think I found you. And I don't always understand what's going on on social media. I try very hard to figure it out. But hashtags became really important. And I noticed him the first time when, um, oh, I'm not even going to say his name because I don't remember exactly, but he's now, I think, the host of Jeopardy. And he had made a comment that pretty people in wheelchairs is depressing to him. I remember and- that. Yeah. And then there became this, this hashtag where I first started became really like aware of that whole thing and where it could actually become a flashpoint. I'd never thought of, of hashtags as anything other than like a way to get someone to see your post. But this became like a movement of like disabled but cute. I believe that either you or someone that you reported on had created a hashtag that became really important. Can you talk a little bit about like how that all works for some of us who don't understand how that becomes a movement? Yeah, for sure. I have written about hashtags in my story, but I'm blinking on like if I've written like one solely on that. But I can also say when I when sharing my article, they're looking for sources. I absolutely use hashtags. So whether that be just Disability Twitter. Crip the vote is also a huge one if we're Ah. talking about disability in politics and as well. Another one I use is N-E-I-S void, which is no end in sight. Depressing but true. But, you know, those hashtags are very helpful in finding people. And I also use them as a journalist, just knowing that those are very important to disability community. And one I don't use as a non-autistic person, but I think it's very important to pay attention to is actually autistic. That is a hashtag as well of autistic people sharing their experiences about how they might feel about autism speaks and whatever they're up to, I'd say, in a not good way. Just due to like very fair critiques of the organization and how their, at least their budget, could how little, it's almost nothing goes to supporting autistic adults instead of a lot of research, which, which autistic adults have said is very problematic. That is definitely one of the most known problematic organizations that we've heard along with some of the breast cancer organizations <laughs> and Ellis Samos organizations that we've I all heard of that one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything would have convinced me to actually get into a career like yours, it would be to investigate some of that. I just don't have the energy, which is the next thing I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. is you have multiple aspects to your job that are very intense. Also dealing with backlash when you're reporting on something that someone has very intense feelings about. How do you manage your boundaries and your energy? Yeah, I say at least managing my energy and my interview process is, well, depend on if I'm interviewing a politician, 
then this won't be the case. But especially when I'm interviewing other chronically ill and disabled people, I don't mind sending questions in advance. I think it keeps the conversation pointed, particularly if I'm just looking for very specific answers. Like I've done a lot of research. I'm just looking for something to help fill in the article. I don't mind doing that. I also don't schedule a lot of things back to back. And I also break up my day doing different types of tasks. I think mm. that helps a lot for sure. I cannot agree more. I, I have it down to almost the science on when they know like after one o'clock, it's just going to be emails and being in bed. Like, But how do you deal with, because when you're talking about something, and I don't know if this is actually something that you deal with or not, but when you're talking about something that's kind of intense and people have feelings about it, you're not done with it usually once it goes out. Then there's people who want to talk about it and sometimes not talk terribly nicely about it. We've certainly dealt with that here on this show. How do you manage? Do you have particular boundaries intact? Because I've talked to people who want to start things like podcasts or blogs, but they're afraid of the energy expansion, expansion, expulsion. I'm doing great today. That English literature degree is coming in handy. I think it really depends what type of response. I get if it's someone, if I report on the community, especially if it's not particularly one I'm a part of and someone that's like, hey, I think you kind of missed this point. That is definitely Ooh. something I take in. But like, for example, I wrote an article over the summer from Mother Jones on this case that's going to be on the Supreme Court which might affect Title III of the ADA. And I got some emails essentially saying, well, people are abusing the ADA. And it's like, okay, I'm going to compartmentalize this. I don't have to. I just, So I think it depends whether or not I might have caused harm or I might have like left out a point. But also like as a journalist, I don't include every point on a topic in an article or it would not be a readable length. But I do read all emails I get. I mean, depends on it certain point if someone starts email cursing me i delete it but if it's like a good faith email i will read it and often respond to it that's a master class in boundaries right there um one of the things you'd written about which i'm a little curious what your viewpoint is and i'm sorry i didn't mean to make you go through your entire history of, no, I'll guess. of your articles but you'd written an article about celebrities with certain disorders and when mm -hmm. they come out and talk about it and there are some huge pros like when um, Lady Gaga came out and said she had Eller Stainless, at least people heard of the disorder. But there is a new set of expectations. Can you talk a little bit about like how you feel about that? Because some of your disorders are starting to come out with some, some yeah. celebrities going, yeah, this is a thing. Yeah. So I wrote about Ashton Kutcher sharing that he had vasculitis and I think vasculitis and not talked about really at all. And I have to say, I wrote that article before he defended someone. Oh, God. Their kid had rape. Uh, I just want to say I wrote that before that before I thank you. Yes, we will. We will make sure that that is you know we have nothing to do with his bad yeah, choices. No. We're only talking about his health, not his mental. Health. Yeah, and so I wrote that article before that had happened, and I I thought that was interesting because if you look up vasculitis and celebrities, like it only became a new story when someone had died from it. And I think that just like raising visibility is important, especially for people with like somewhat more rare diseases to be even like, oh, those symptoms, I have that. Maybe I'll talk to a doctor. But also like awareness is good for like all healthcare professionals just to read a little more. I think it's fine if celebrities talk about it as long as they don't a lot of the time paint out that they have the worst experience possible. I'm mostly talking about white celebrities. I'm not talking about how like anti-black racism in medicine, like for example, nearly killed Serena Williams. Yes. Right. I'm starting to my voice despite her having an immense amount of wealth. Her doctors didn't believe her. 
the way Ashton Kutcher talked about it at the time was like, oh yeah, it was really bad. I started losing my vision, my sight. I It sounded like he had pretty profound symptoms at the beginning. I saw some people, not really from the vasculitis community, but like people in general, but like, well, he got treatment right away. And I, I think that's a fair criticism to make sometimes. But I also think like the symptoms he was describing could especially certain types of vasculitis, they're fatal if they're not treated and they're not managed, especially when it sounded like he might have a condition that affects his brain. So to have something like that happen so quickly, like you need medical care, it does not matter how much money you have in order to like make it more controlled, especially with vasculitis. With one, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. It's an acronym. It's GPA. That's one type of vasculitis. It has a fatality rate of 82% before like medical treatment. So that was like the mortality rate into the 80s. So like some types of vasculitis are like very fatal, if not managed. And so that speaks to the importance of visibility, et cetera. And of course, just some treatment isn't necessarily good treatment. Not all of us enjoy being on prednisone for a year and a half, my experience. But I also kind of needed to be on it. And then in 2020, there was a prednisone alternative that was approved by the FDA for vasculitis. Very exciting for people to then develop it down the road. But yeah, I don't know if I went on a little tangent. I don't know if that answered your question. You did. Absolutely. And one of the things you brought up, I think, is just one of the things that drives me the craziest about the whole celebrity culture when they discuss their illnesses. And Michael J. Fox did such a brilliant and beautiful thing was talking about how his experience with Parkinson's is different than other people's because he has access Mm -hmm. to medicine and treatments that we don't even know of, heard of, or could begin to get near like my family has ms in, in it and one of the things they ask is like okay so how much money do you have are you going to be able to access all of the treatment because here in the united states as you know and i'm sure in other countries which with universal health care there is a difference in economics and the ability to access full full range of motion yep, range of motions yeah mm-hmm. i just wanted to jump in and say like even countries like canada they don't mm-hmm. have universal pharmacare. And so yeah. universal healthcare does not mean universal pharmacare. And it also means that you sometimes have to fight your provincial government to cover stuff. Someday I would love to sit and talk to you about, if you want to, about more of the differences in universal healthcare. Oh, yeah. And yeah, no, I'd be definitely oh. happy to talk another day. But like, even for talking about Canada, like a lot of people don't know that. And no, then, I, I honestly yeah. don't. The only thing I've heard about Canada significantly is the MAID issue where MAID is being offered at a much quicker rate than disability is. Yeah. Oh, and that's that true. the, mm-hmm. yeah, the applications for MAID goes through the roof when it gets cold. Yeah. Once winter hits and that's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. It feels like very polite ways to be very cruel. Yeah. And that's an issue too, like when we talk about wait times for healthcare, your MAID application might go through before you see a specialist. Yes. That's that's definitely something that I've been seeing. You know, when we're talking about like the importance of things like Twitter and these online communities, this is one of the most important thing I can think of is the activism is so important where we have a touchstone, a place to go mm-hmm. so that we can talk about these things so that we can make people aware of what's happening with MAID. Because on the surface, if you just sort of hear about MAID, I mean, we're fighting in California. We finally won the fight for the right to be able to make these choices. But this is one of those experiences like with MAID where it looks like, oh, this is this is very progressive. And then you look further and it's like, this is very dystopian. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. One of the last things I really want to talk to you about was because you're at a point in your life where at least when I was very sick and in my 20s, it was this very big to push through and to build a career. I want to talk to you a little bit about how 
you are able to handle the outside world, boss's expectations, family expectations, and how, and if you're able to stay friends with healthy people, you're, and how the social works for you. Yeah. I guess I would say I'm friends with a lot of journalists and a lot of us tend to be workaholics for not a lot of time to socialize anyway. So I would say I am friends with healthy people, but I also, a lot of people I know in their mid-20s are grinding and don't have that much time for a social life either, even if they don't live with chronic illness. I think for me, a large part of like balancing things is I give myself fake deadlines. So let's just say I have quite a few things I know I have to get done by that certain day is I then give myself a fake deadline a bit earlier. So I know I won't be overwhelmed having to turn in everything in one day. And that is like very helpful for me. You're brilliant. I'm stealing this as an idea and I'm going to pass that along to my teenager. Yeah, it's very helpful. I like it. I mean, your generation, it's a very interesting thing for me to watch. I have a, a child, an older child who's around your age and watching all of his friends, it feels like almost insane with the level of what's expected of you guys, how much work you're supposed to be doing. Like, I feel like we were expected to do a lot in the 90s and early 2000s, but oh my gosh, like the three jobs is just so not a shocker anymore. And the burnout, it just, it feels like I'm always talking to healthy people who have chronic illness with how tired everyone is. Yeah, I guess I don't have an answer for that. Can I? Yeah, no, there was no answer needed. It was just more of an observation. I don't know many elder Gen Z, which at my age, who aren't dealing with some level of burnout. I'll just say that. I don't know anyone. Yeah, it's just, it's sort of shocking to me just sort of like realizing that most of the advice I would give my, my older child is just completely BS now because it just, it, it's not advice that would work in this new world. And something I find fascinating, I found grad school to be less stressful than high school and undergrad. Oh my God, yes. I was thinking sure it was just like my brain not having the all the neurons firing in the proper way, but high school was just insanely overwhelming to me of the switching from class to class and idea to idea where graduate school is so relaxing because it's just one main thing I was focused in on. Yeah, no, I... I founded that to be a lot more manageable than undergrad and high school. And you went to UC Berkeley or did I read that wrong? You know, I got my master's from UC Berkeley, which is a top school, but like I was not pulling all-nighters like I had in undergrad and high school. So that was like a lot more manageable. And it was project-based, which I found a lot better in managing my energy than like having to cram for a test, for example. I can agree more. My youngest is in a um, Montessori high school and it's all project-based and the happiness level is through the roof. That's good for sure. Yeah, we're definitely a test to be high school and first half of undergrad. Well, now you've given me a new life goal to look into medical sociology or medical anthropology. Um, I, I'm now going to be researching programs because that sounds ridiculously interesting. Uh, I usually end with what your favorite purchases for under $100. We talked about my favorite thing, which is the full body. And I swear I'm not sponsored by Sealy, but oh my God, for $100 to be able to get a full body uh, heating pad is just amazing. Uh, we talked about to do us. Do you have any other things that are just your must? I really like my slippers. I have no idea how much they cost. I think they're from Target. Slippers are everything. Comfy, soft, and warm. Thank you so much for coming on. I really hope you will come back. I There's still like at least 50 other things that we should probably cover in your various articles. We will have links to the articles in our show notes. Be kind, be gentle, be a badass, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit InvisibleNotBroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our hosts, Monica and Julia, for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by Luke Spine with help by me, Ariana Alter. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.